Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a great episode for you guys today. Richard Kelly is coming on the podcast in a little bit to talk about um, the golden age of Formula One and being a photojournalist at that time. Also a uh, car and driver photographer for 20 years. Uh, he's going to tell us a couple stories from that. Um, and what we're going to do is I have his book here. It's called Waiting by Richard Kelly. And it's this... It's a book of portraits from the time. Right. And I think the uh, uh, a lot of people focus a lot on the cars, and they are beautiful machines. Don't get me wrong. We all love talking about the cars, whether it's you know some uh, BRM or Ferrari or whatever the case may be, or a Terrell or whatever. They're awesome. The cars are great. But what it really comes down to is the men behind the wheel. Yeah, uh, that's, they that's were the where the legacy comes from. Taking the risks and where the drama really came from. Right. And Richard Kelly was was right there during this this whole time i'm just going to read you a little uh a little bit off the back of his book to kind of give you a perspective on uh of what's in it waiting is the story of a rookie photojournalist immersed in formerly one's golden age of the 70s and 80s just 19 richard kelly saw the need to faithfully document the sports lethal dangers iconic personalities and technological developments in a period of seismic change which caused f1's unique character to disappear forever only nine months of photo photographic education, Kelly began using his remarkable talent to observe and capture F1 drivers' decisive moments. He saw his images as a fly on the wall, consciously disappearing among his band of brothers to allow the emotion and power of the moment to blend, developing a cinematic style that grows more contemporary every year. Basically saying he's way ahead of his time on this. And he basically said that. He was doing something that was not kind of in vogue for the period. Right. Waiting is a powerful and unique documentary of the world of F1 from 72 through 84. From Gilles Villeneuve's first moments to, with Ferrari to Francois Severe's final morning and Nicky Lauda's resurrection, Kelly's omnipresent lens and enlightening memoir capture an intimacy and humanity that Grand Prix history will never witness again. Um, and it is a great book. It really is. Uh, Some I, of those photos in there as I was flipping through are just chilling they are they're chilling and they're happy and there's the whole broad range it of emotions runs the gamut yeah and obviously it's it's not just a photography book too it's also his documentation of what the photos are and talking about james hunt and all the and uh, nikki lauda and francois and all these other guys that were he was around uh as well so it's really really interesting um and we're going to talk about uh the book we're going to talk about his history with photography what equipment he was using that kind of thing and uh, also, we're going to talk about some of the photos in the book. So I picked some of my favorite photos out of the book, and he's going to tell us the stories behind the photos themselves. But before we get that far, what else have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all that. They box it up and send it right there to your door. Now, there's actually two different levels of subscription that you can choose from. You have the Petrobox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95. Be sure to check these guys out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month. All right, guys, here's our interview with Richard Kelly. Hello, Mr. Richard Kelly. It's Chris and Jake from the Overcrest Podcast. How you doing? Good. How's it going, man? Fantastic. 
Yeah, I really, uh, I love your book. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. I love that there's, uh, it's full of people, you know, and that's one thing that I, that really, really strikes me about the book. But before we get into the book itself, I really want to kind of hear um, the story of how you got started, because you started really young with this, and I think it's really, really interesting. Um, you started as a rookie photojournalist at like 19, right? That's right. And yeah, it's 19. Ah, well, it's it's one of those stories where uh, you know sometimes uh, sometimes a, a, a light in the distance flickers and you sort of think that's what it is, and sometimes um, it's a, an atomic bomb blast that goes off in front of your eyes, and you say, "Oh yeah, <laughs> that's where I that's where I belong." You know, um, I was uh, I was a a freshman uh, journalism student at Indiana University, and it was a hot August afternoon. Uh, just starting, just starting the, uh, the term as a freshman. And um, I read a, a story of the uh, 1971 British Grand Prix, and Rob Walker had written it. Um, just so I don't forget, uh, Rob Walker and I became good friends, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story about that when we get there. Anyway, um, I, uh, I read it uh, in Roden Track, and um, it, just, it just hit me like a, a ton of bricks. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I had to be part of that. That had to be part of my life. And whatever I could do to be there uh, would be um, what I had to do. Well, uh, as I was, I was a journalism student. I was a writer. Uh, and I just knew that photography was the way I wanted to go because I, I just knew that I could, I could produce photographs that uh, were, were just not seen. They just weren't taken at the time. So I uh, walked in, um, asked and begged if I could have a double major and a uh, you know, said, well, let's see what we can do. And I, um, what was missing? Hold on a second. What was missing that you felt could be, that could be shown? What were you seeing that was, that wasn't there? Well, it, it was the, it was the inside picture. It was, it was, the, it was not so much, uh, trying to make a picture of, of who, what the person looks like, but it was to make an image of who they were, you know, of, of what they were. And I had, um, I'd been a student of cinema for a long time from the time I was, Oh, maybe seven years old. I just, I couldn't see enough black and white movies. And, uh, I'd, I'd watch all the, um, you know, all the classics. And it was just, it was just right there. I, I, I knew where I, how I wanted to do it. And I knew, uh, what they would look like. I just had to learn how to do it. Um, for me, um, photography is not, uh, not looking at the feeling and you have to lock in an emotion. And if you can't, if you can't feel, uh, what, if, if what you're looking at is something you can't feel, then there is absolutely no way that you'll ever be able to pass that on to a, an observer, somebody who looks at your images. So you've got to go for, for, for emotion, and um, that can be happy, that can be sad, that can be uh, inquisitive, but it's something that, that, that the, the facade goes away, and you have the real, the real deal right there. And I got lucky enough that I found the right real deal quite a lot, quite, quite a few times. So, what was your first uh, your first event? Well, it was a nineteen um, uh, seventy two United States Grand Prix at Watkins. Was that something that you were getting paid for, or was it just something that you kind of no. took it out of your own pocket and was like, "I'm just going to go wing it and go do this and try and make it happen"? Well, uh, when I when I began, um, I, I had to in what was it? Maybe maybe uh, uh, maybe February of um, of seventy two. Um, I. Um, bought a, uh, 1972, maybe 31 model brand new, uh, Nikon FTN. 
and uh, a couple lenses and taught myself how to, how to use it. I uh, taught myself how to go to the darkroom, taught myself how to do everything. I did not know anything about photography except what, what the pictures would look like when I got done. And I just practiced and practiced until... How much disappointment did you have in the darkroom learning? Uh, tons. <laughs> uh, not, so much, uh, not so much from the, the development point of it. It was pretty, you know, it was like baking a cake, you know. Right. 32 degrees, uh, you know, five, point, five minutes and 15 seconds, uh, you know, two rolls and a tap, and that, you know, that's the way it went. Right. With reels. But um, to, um, to, to look, at, look at something and think you're getting it and then look at the results and go, well, that's not it. That's not it. Yeah. Well, I, I, learned, I learned that uh, if I used wide open apertures and I got close, um, I, could, I could do the, you know, the old 30s and 40s and 50s and, you know, uh, 60s, uh, you know, very soft backgrounds, uh, very sharp in focus people. And then things in the in the foreground that were sort of hazy, uh, it just brought your eye right to it. And um, I I finally figured out how to do it. And um, I had a one eighty two eight Nikon and uh, a uh, fifty one point four, and that's what I went to war with. You know, that's that's what the fifty is a great lens. I mean, that's just um, when you when you yeah. look through a thirty five millimeter camera with a fifty, it's basically in my opinion, what the focal length of human eyesight is. It looks very, very similar to what you see in real life. So it's a great walking around lens to just capture the way things were and the way things are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, um, uh, I think the first image I shot was a a portrait (laughs) of uh, Claire Regazzoni. And um, it was just, it was just one of those moments where he's, he's sitting on a bunch of tires and it's the end of the day, it's after practice. He's watching the last couple guys go by. And I just, uh, I was, I sat next to him and I just stood up and I just walked over and went, snap. And he, he didn't change expressions. He just said, uh, good. I said, yeah, great. He said, mm. good. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Must be all right. And it, it, it still is one of my favorite photographs because I know what's around and his face looks exactly the way a haggard into the season Ferrari driver would look. You know, he's, he's just, he's, he's had it. He's had it. He, he walked from, uh, from Ferrari in, in 73, went to the BRM, uh, where he was, uh, you know, joining with Phil Lalo. And um, it's just, it, he's just, he was just a great guy. Uh, one of the few times I didn't see him smiling, but he was a, he was a great guy. And it's a great photograph. I, my, one of my favorites. I taught myself to uh, use the camera, and I, I begged um, uh, Chuck Robinson at AP in Indianapolis let me string for him at the uh, 500 that year, which he um, saw my photographs and said, yeah, come on down. So I, I went through the entire month of May. And this isn't uh, as easy as it is now. If you want to send somebody some pictures, you just email them. Back then you had to like <laughs> yeah. make some prints and send them in a, yeah. in a manila folder and then, then wait a week and then he didn't call you back right away. He's like, oh, does he think my photos suck? And then you're just kind of in this limbo. It was a little bit different back then. Well, uh, except I had uh, sort of a um, a, uh, a router for me. Um, uh, um, uh, Professor Counts at Indiana University, he had uh, been nominated for the Pulitzer Prize back in the early '50s because of his uh, his, his work um, in uh, in um, uh, civil rights, and he was a great shooter. And uh, he looked at my stuff, and he was the one that told me. Uh, you know, I, I was I was saying, "What do you think?" Dr. Counts, he says, call me Will, and he says, go buy a camera. I said, why? He says, because it's what you're meant to do. And I did. 
Uh, and, and so anyway, I, uh, I, um, got the camera. He was good friends with, uh, with Chuck, uh, any friends of, of Chuck is a friend of mine, you know, his, and so boom, he, he brought me in. He taught me a lot of things and he let me stay in the, uh, he let me stay in the, in the, in the pits. And that's where I began to know, okay, this is how I'll do it. This is how I'll do it. So by the time, um, I, uh, and I, I, I was given free passes, uh, through Chuck and through uh, Albany, uh, AP to go up there and shoot to, at, uh, in, um, at the Watkins Glen, which was about 12 hours away. So, uh, by the time I got there, I had, uh, you know, pretty much got in my head how I wanted to do it and how I would do it. And, uh, just, 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 uh, just, you know, make it work. So what was your first published photograph when you, and you got paid for it? What was the first one? Uh, of, of formula one or of, of anything, of anything. What, what that, let's, let me rephrase it. What was the first published photograph that you were proud of that you got paid of that you were like this? Yeah, finally, this is it. Well, I, I, uh, I, he had, uh, counts had, uh, counts put me into the, uh, the, uh, in the university, uh, uh, journalism newspaper. And I, I'd done some things there and it turned out that I could, I could, you know, make enough money that I wouldn't have to do another job, a real job. And, um, well, I came back and I had uh, a photograph of, uh, one of the photographs of Severe. And, um, they looked at it and went, oh my God, front page. So, uh, that's, that's where it went. And from then on, it was just, um, you know, roll, keep rolling. Um, yeah, I was, I was massively proud of the Severe pictures. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll get there. We, we'll get we, there for sure. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, and after that, it was just, uh, you know, it was it was do a lot of things, do a lot of portraits. Uh, I always had my portraits uh, natural light. I always, um, you know, shot them the way I wanted to, and uh, it just seemed as though things were working working on my way. And I just kept I kept on pushing. I kept on trying to expand what I what I what I did, and I tried I, I tried to not experiment more, but tried to get closer and closer to what I thought my ideal um, image and my ideal look for the time uh, was. And it was, it was very, 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 well, <laughs> at the time, it was very much out there. You know, uh, people, people just shot uh, portraits in a particularly stiff way. And I'd shoot them talking. I'd say, don't, you know, just keep on talking to the reporter. I'll just keep on shooting. Don't just forget me. And that's the way I always was. And it's interesting knowing that that's, a lot of people do that these days, right? They try to, uh-huh. get, the, they try to get the moment as it's happening, but... It's right. interesting to know that back then it wasn't wasn't the norm. And you say you shoot a lot of natural light, and that's that's one thing that I really like uh, about photography in general is um, it can push you right using the mm-hmm. ava- I don't I almost don't call it naturally I call it available light. It's whatever you have yeah. given to you is what you deal with, and it it forces your hand in a lot of different ways to do things differently than you would if you had control over the situation. Oh sure, oh sure, and we call it available darkness. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that's about it. That's about it. You know. Yeah, you're trying to pull. You're trying to pull some kind of bright, uh, uh, not pixels, but you know, whatever, out of, uh, of of dense darkness, especially with uh, black and white and triax at the time. So, uh, yeah. But once you knew how to do it, once you knew how to cross light, and once you knew how to, you know, it, it was just it was fun. It was fun. It was just it was like stealing, you know. And um, I uh, I enjoyed every second of it. In hindsight, do you know how special what you were doing was at the time, or is that something that's become apparent to you over decades? Um, well, to, to, to tell you the honest truth, I didn't know whether I'd succeed or not. I, I knew that what I had shot was, was good. Um, but I kept it from view 
for a long time because I wanted to see what other people might have. And I kept waiting and waiting and expecting, you know, just beautiful things to come out. I know Paul Arike, who I got to be good friends with, um, he's, he's real good. And, and we, we shot it up in, in, in black and white days. And he went on because of his connections to be able to do wonderful work in color. Uh, Rainer was there in her second mission. And he was a bit more formalized, uh, but, but he was always at a great point uh, at the right time because he knew everybody and everybody accepted him. He'd been there from the very, very beginning. So he was, you know, those, those two fellows were, uh, were masters of what they did and really, uh, you know, Paul Henri, um, had, uh, Jimmy Clark and, and, um, and a lot of other drivers over at his father's house, Bernard Kayer. So he grew up with those guys. And, uh, he, there were sometimes when he'd introduce me and sometimes when, He'd sort of wink and say, no, nah, this guy's mine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, we had a great time. Um, but I, I didn't, it really didn't dawn on me until I realized, well, I'm the last man standing. I mean, anything that would be shown would have been shown by now. So that's when I began moving to let my images be seen. And then you ended up with uh, Car and Driver, and you had a pretty storied career there as well, right? Yeah, yeah, 20 years. Um, and, and a lot of that was, uh, was just shooting. Uh, fast cars and hanging out of fast cars and being sort of roped into vans, uh, and hanging your camera, maybe, you know, four inches or five inches off the pavement and shooting, you know, good, good car to car stuff that way. And, and, um, I was, I was everywhere. I was in Japan. I was in, uh, Europe. I was a lot of other places. And, and if I was in Europe and I could shoot formula one, uh, you know, when, when it was downtime and, um, yeah, 20 years, uh, didn't get to shoot a lot of the stuff uh, for, for Formula One for Car and Driver because they had their own guys, which was their prerogative. Um, but I think um, now they pretty well know what I could do. So what was your favorite project for Car and Driver over the years, when looking back? Hmm. Um, well, it was, it, was the long, it was the long drive. It was the uh, uh, driving from, um, uh, from Ann Arbor to uh, the farthest point uh, north and west on the final, final bit of pavement that there was. <laughs> up by know, Prudhoe Bay, kinda. Uh, it was it was up toward um, Newfoundland and then over toward uh, uh, Gander Bay, and that way uh, we uh, unfortunately got uh, caught on a road uh, that, that the, the pavement turned to gravel, and then the ice began to melt, and with the melting came all of the wash away of the road. And we what were you driving? Just, uh, well, we had a, a, a Range Rover and a, um, a Lexus SUV at the time. And uh, there were four of us, and we were just documenting using these, these four-wheel drive vehicles and trying to get to uh, Yander Bay. And we almost didn't make it. Uh, we, got, we got down to the point where we were picking straws as to who would walk, and it was about 100 <laughs> miles, literally. And... Um, you know, we uh, it was it was one of those things where we got lucky. We pulled boulders out of the sides of the of the, of the ditches and, and 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 managed to get across some of the water, and and just barely made it in. It took us thirteen hours to go a hundred miles. Wow. Yeah. I've got the I've got a route plan. I want to get up to Tuktoyaktuk, which is in the far yeah. northwest territory. Uh-huh. I'm going to take my. I have a seventy two nine eleven. And the plan is to take that from Baja, California on back roads all the way up to 
to tuck. And the thing is, I don't think any of the roads are as bad as they used to be up in that area. Yeah, yeah. With all the uh, with all the uh, oil exploration up there, I'm thinking it's it's probably pretty good now. Yeah, for for sure. Uh, we we did a trip. Uh, you know, it was it was um, we tried to do a, a high speed uh, Alcan Highway <laughs> run. Uh, there were four of us, and we uh, we we made it, no problems at all. Um, it was a it was a moment where we're running at pretty high speed, um, close to Fairbanks, and we looked over and on the other side of the trees, a guy in a, a warthog, an A4 war, warthog, was down low pacing us. <laughs> what? <laughs> we came, and we came out, we came out open, you know, in some open air, and he rolled over the top of us, you know, and wing, wiggled his wings and took off. It was just epic. That's incredible. That's yes, wow. That's my favorite plane. Yes. There's ha- hands oh, down. Yeah. That's hands down my, my favorite plane for sure. Yeah, yeah. Stick and rudder. You know, that's the way. That's the way you want to go. And it was just, it was just awesome. Guys saluted. You know, Durval, and yeah, it was just awesome. So, how has motorsports and automotive photography changed over the last? 50 years since you started when you were 19 mm-hmm. you know, what has been the for better for worse what's changed the most um access favoritism and uh even less access what do you mean less access is it just it, obviously you went in you could walk right into the pits and you know we talked a little oh, bit yeah. earlier on the phone you talk about me like my the odds of me going to spa and getting a press pass are pretty slim even though i have yeah you know, some yeah. stuff under my belt. There's just no way I'd be able to do it. Do it. Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, I know then, uh, you know, everything was very, very, very easy uh, in the beginning. Just so easy. It, was, it seemed illegal. I kept looking up and down the pit lane going, why aren't there more people here? I mean, this is where the gold is. This is where, this is where the diamonds are. You know, I mean, I can't believe they're not here. And I'm going to keep on shooting because I, I want to get as much out of my belt before they realize what's going on. When was the last and, time you uh, were at the track to do something with Formula One? Um, 2017, I uh, shot three three races: uh, the uh, the uh, Spanish, the uh, U.S., and the uh, Canadian. What feels different in the pits and everything? Is it? Well, uh, yeah, access in, in one part, but you know, you just have to you just have to adapt to the to the um, you know to the terrain to the the problems. Uh, you're not going to get up close. You know, you're just not going to get up close on, unless unless you work it out with somebody ahead of time. So um, I uh, and now I'm doing digital work. So I've got a, a 200 500 that yep. seems to be just magic, um, just magic. It, um, I I went through three of them and and the last one I, I said okay I'll keep this. It's just sharp as a tack and it just sucks light. I mean it just it just pulls light in like crazy. And it, you can, if you, if you, if you think ahead of time, you can have it preset and be ready to go and, and shoot, uh, shoot eyeballs inside the, uh, uh, you know, the, the open frame, the, the, the helmet. Now you can shoot certain things. Um, I've got great pictures of, uh, of, um, lots of guys. Um, and it's just because you listen and you anticipate, uh, just like what I did before and, and you, you make it happen. You know, you get, get, get places and you stand where um, something's going to happen and it does. All right. Let's talk a little bit about your book and uh, sure. basically what we would both consider the golden era of motorsport. Um, yeah. What was it about the 70s and 80s that made it so special, you think? Well, um, for 
perhaps it was the uh, it was it was the drivers. You know, they were um, well, I was, you know, sons of garage owners and sportsmen and millionaires and and uh, guys who just loved racing and they they'd wrenched on on cars for other people and they they knew they loved it or they just had the feeling that uh, I can do this, I can do this, and there was no there was no um, shortage of men who would line up to jump inside of a car after some fatal accident. Um, why do, why know, did they do that? What was it about these guys that they would know? Like I've, I asked Brian Redmond straight up. I'm like, Hey, did you ever wake up in the morning and just assume that you were going to die? And he said, yeah, I woke oh, up yeah. at spa going, I'm going to die today. Yeah. And yeah. how did, why did they get, why did they get in the car? Because they thought that was the best life that you could ever live. You know, uh, they, and, 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 and also, their friends did it. I mean, they made friends that, that are friends for life, you know, and, and well, if, uh, if Derek's going to do it, then, uh, Yakin can do it. If, uh, if Jackie can do it, then uh, Jimmy can do it. You know, they all just, they all, they all trusted each other. They trusted each other so, so much that they believed that it was, it would only be a problem with the car. And well, maybe I can save it. Maybe I can pull it back. But you know, if I, if I can and I, I win, then someday I'll be, um, Formula One world champion, and that's the best thing I could possibly be. And they just, you know, they just had to, they just had to wipe it out. They just had to wipe it out. I mean, if uh, you know, there's 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 certain um, links to uh, being a soldier or being uh, or being certain people, and you just have to say, you know, but that's not going to happen to me. Right. And um, and that's just that's just the way it is. Um, I will give you a little hint here that. Um, I got so close to the guys and I listened so much to what they said and, and how they explained things and how they, they, um, they went about doing what they, they did and sorting things out that I got the itch. And so I went and got a license and ran SCCA for 13 years. And there were many, many, many times when, um, I had a little thing with the car and couldn't figure it out. And I just sat down and I said, what would Jackie say? What would Jackie say right now? Oh yeah, you know, and you take it to a high pitch voice, and you <laughs> you hear him explaining this thing and that thing. Hey, how about if we do this? And I swear, it it would just it would just work. And and so I did it for thirteen years and loved every second of it, every second of it. And um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's something that gets in you, and then it never leaves, and lots, you don't want it to leave. Lots of photography this era and even today really focuses on the machines and forgoes the yeah. men that are taking the risks to make it all possible. Your book is mm -hmm. really focused on the drivers and, and the pits themselves. Um, we touched on it a little bit before, but why do you think it's so important to tell their story through photography the way that you did? Um, because when it gets right down to it, it's, um, it's, it's one of the heights of, of sports that a human can, can, can go in and, it's it's a thinking sport, you know. It's an emotional sport. It's it's something where um, you're looking at your eyes and you're looking at faces and you're telling a story. Um, and um, if I can drop back just for a second, when I began photography, um, the two photographers that I I idolized the most were Henri Cartier-Bresson, uh, a French photojournalist, and Gene Smith, a U.S. photojournalist. And they did things a different way. They, 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 they looked at the faces. They looked at the eyes. They looked at everything else. And that's what told the story. And I love that. 
I love the way that they thought. I love the way that they presented presented things, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I just thought that uh, you know, there's a, there's enough there's enough shots of, of people standing by cars. I want to get I want to get in their faces. I'll get in their minds. I just want to I want to find out what's there and if I can if I can capture that. Do you think the the lack of risk today has made the stories um, less emotional, less tangible, less? I don't even I don't know that I want to say less important, but um, I'm not sure how else to phrase it compared to, you know, in the 70s where, you know, like we said, the guys would wake up thinking they might not make it home. And now, I mean, everything is so safe that it just doesn't seem like the risk factor is there anymore. Well, um, I have I have two answers for that. Um, with with the risk dropping, the um, the um, what would be the word? The politics start. Okay. Um, you, uh, you maybe would have a driver in the seventies that could last the entire career, but there were a, a number of them, sadly, uh, and I miss them all who, uh, didn't make it. Uh, once you have a sport that, um, you can count on a driver finishing all the races and, and you can count on a driver, um, being in good physical shape and, uh, and, and, and getting through this and then keeping the speed up. Well, then it was the politics. Then it was the uh, the technology. Then it was a whole lot of other things, and um, some of that's very hard to shoot. But what's what remains is the is the is the puzzlement or the elation or the uh, beaming of a face when they get it right. And um, so, you basically only have one side of the scale now. You don't have the. Yeah. The, this, the destruction and the emotional despair to contrast the joy of winning. Right, right, right. Yeah, you just, you just get one side. And, and so you have to go even overboard in trying to get um, expressions or, or something. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Daniel Ricardo is, is a good example. Um, if you can't get a good picture of him <laughs> the way I used to shoot, then you're not trying. Right, he's pretty emotive. Maxie, that's for sure. <laughs> Maxie's Maxie's on the other side of it. Maxie's the brooder, you know. Yep. Um, but I've been I, I followed Maxie uh, from the time he was 15 years old, um, and he just he just turned 16, and he uh, uh, attended the Macau Grand Prix, and while I was working in Hong Kong, and uh, got to know his dad and got to know him, and so I have pictures of, of him and his dad. I think the classic shots of him when he's you know, just turned 16 and I talked to a uh, Christian Horner before and I said, who are you, who are you looking at? And he said, uh, Max. Yeah. He says, yeah, Max, Max. And, um, when I saw Max drive and when I talked to him and we just sit down and talking, I said, Oh my God, this guy, this guy's going to be a monster. And, uh, so you just learn, you just learn to listen and anticipate and, and, and questions and, You'll hear something in the first, oh, two minutes that will tell you. Uh, Leclerc is the same way. I, was, I, I, got, uh, I hung on to Leclerc uh, two years later, and it's about uh, three minutes before, four minutes before the race starts, and his, his, uh, his intercom quits. And he says, nah, I'll just do without it. And he meant it. He meant it. If he had to do without it, he would. And the team, the Amos team, pushed hard and, and, and got him hooked up, but he never, he never changed his, he never changed his face. He never changed his, his heartbeat. Nothing, nothing was going to bother him. He was just going to be just fine. 
and uh, he finished second. Another two laps, and he'd finish first. Um, I feel like a lot of these just, guys, if they existed back in the seventies, would still do it. That's oh, yeah. it, they would. It's oh, the yeah. same type of man that's that's There's doing no these things. There's no question. There's no question. Um, uh, Leclerc, I like I like him, Jimmy Jimmy Clark um, and Jackie. Uh, um, Maxi is. Maxie's uh, Maxie's sort of special, you know. I think he's a Jimmy too. Uh, uh, just he just he just knows. He just nothing nothing flips him. He's just <laughs> you know. I mean, sometimes he gets a little angry, but uh, hey, you know that's that's just that's just his, his commitment. Um, but <clears throat> some of these guys look just like the guys that I knew. Just they act the same way. So I've picked a few of my favorite shots from the book, and I want to hear some of the okay. story behind the men, the shot, their story. And if there's anything interesting about, you know, photography related, and you know, with the cameras or any settings or anything like that, feel free to feel free to throw them out. If not, no big deal. Um, okay. I want to start on page seven, page seventy three. There's a Ferrari three three twelve T two used as a dinner table, and oh, yeah. <laughs> I find that really really cool. And I think it kind of uh, alludes to the fact that the pits were a lot more, they were freer. Back in the day, what can you describe the environment of uh, of the off racing of the pits when everybody was just hanging out, maybe Friday night after qualifying or something like that? Well, everybody knew everybody else, uh, and it was um, especially especially Saturday night before the race. Everybody just got down the wrenching. They just they just you know stopped the acting and everything else, and they got down the wrenching. And they would they would work really really hard, and then uh, the Ferrari boys would. Uh, would bring in some lambrusco and some pasta that they'd had cooking out behind the uh, behind the pits, and um, they sat down and 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 for them, uh, this was like their um, oh, how can I explain it? It was like it was like um, it was it was their special time. It was like you know their it was a tradition, and they had, they 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 built the car, they serviced the car, they traveled with the car, they they spent more time with the with the car and their teammates, whether, you know, than they did with their family. And this was sort of a family dinner. And it was something that where they, they would sort of toast each other and say, okay, we've, we've done the best we can. Tomorrow we, tomorrow we race, tomorrow we fight, you know? And it was just a, it was just a wonderful thing to see, you know, nice, easy, calm. Was it a Ferrari thing things. or was, did other teams do something like this? Uh, well, I, yeah, I guess they did. I guess they did. I mean, uh, uh, certainly Tyrrell uh, was, was all the Tyrrell guys were, were together uh, all the time, uh, but the Ferrari ones, the Ferrari guys, just sort of made it sort of a, a spectacle, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, and they'd, they'd sing, and it was just, it was just great. It was just, it just, it just maybe it took the edge off, and maybe it just, it just, it uh, was just a, a really human, human thing to do. Makes uh, you wonder what the ratio of fuel versus wine they carried around with them. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's probably a, a lockdown secret. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and and it, it was just nice. It was nice. Um, one of the best friends I ever had in Formula One was Zermana Kowoji, who was Nicky Lauda's mechanic, and through him I learned um, everything. Everything. He was um, he was a guy who uh, would pull pull tricks on you and, and and stuff and laugh and joke and then come over and say, Hey, I want to show you something. Come here. Uh, let's have a talk. I'm going to tell you something. And it was great. It was great. It was just fantastic. And uh, he put me in position to, to to learn some things that uh, nobody else knew. And uh, I can reveal it now. 
maybe in, maybe in a while I'll, I'll reveal it. Yeah. <laughs> in due time. In due time. <laughs> in All due right. Time, yeah. On page one thirty out thirty eight, you've got uh, Ricardo Payetti leaves his crashed Osella amongst a slew of tires, um, mm-hmm. and it looks like when you look at the photo, uh, it's just you have these most the most powerful cars of the era basically being stopped from a crash with string and tires and <laughs> yeah. uh we know it was dangerous we've talked about it already but how dangerous was it really to be out there well on that particular situation um it was it was it was a horrible horrible thing uh not that moment but um because um, that was in Detroit yeah, because I knew all the guys in Detroit and all the SCCA guys that were that were um, um, inspectors, and uh, you know they'd, they'd sign off on the safety and so forth. <clears throat> that, that particular car that morning. Now, what they did is they 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 stuck the bolts up through the floorboard, you know, the floor, right? And then they 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 attached the the, um, the the belts to the bolts that were hanging with the heads hanging down below the bottom of the floor. So that's the lowest part of the part of the car. Then at that point, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so if you if you go over a curb, guess what? The 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 seatbelt bolt uh gets knocked off. Okay? Knocks the head off. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it, it was that kind of stuff. And Osella scared the heck out of me. I mean, it just scared me silly. I watched uh I watched the Cheever uh, uh some years before uh at the Glen come down the front straight and he put the brakes on and both uh both suspensions on both sides of the thing cracked and flew up. One, one the um, the disc exploded, and the other one um, broke because of the, the the twist. Then, and he went off at, at almost full speed into the catch fencing, way, 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 way deep. And I waited and waited, and here he came, you know, running back there, stood next to me, sort of shook a little bit, you know, out of his feet against the pavement, and jumped in the spare. <clears throat> Um, so the, the team just scared the heck out of me. It wasn't, it wasn't, it just, there were just things that you could see. Right. But in this case, in this case, uh, um, Paletti had to put the brakes on, um, at just at a point where it was in the, uh, a bump in the pavement. And that bump basically cracked a suspension, uh, or cracked, a, sorry, uh, cracked, um, um, a half shaft in the back. And that broke away from the car flew over his head, hit his helmet um, right front, and kept on bounding away. And so he's, he's, he's got a long, long, long run, a long slide. And he went through three rows of uh, barriers and catch fencing before he stopped uh, at the railing. What the, what the image shows, what the photograph shows, is that there's some plastic, um, you know, sort of, how can I say it? Like basket weave type plastic, plastic, you know, uh, like you do, like you put up a snow fence or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That came, that came over the cockpit. It was plastic. Okay. So if there's a fire, that plastic is going to free, if, uh, you know, in, immediately melt and fuse itself to whatever is there. If somebody's inside the car, it's going to basically keep that person in the car. They won't, they wouldn't even get out. Jeez. Wow, yeah. and, and he didn't make it through the season, right? I mean, it was a race or two no, later. Next weekend, next weekend, uh, he had, he qualified. He didn't qualify the race here because uh, Jarier had, uh, had had busted the car and, and jumped in Clady's uh, 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 car as a spare. Next weekend, he actually qualified, and he 
uh, started. And uh, um, uh, who is it? Uh, uh, Ferrari. Um, anyway, anyway, he hit the back of he hit the back of somebody's car, and it, it killed him. Internal injuries. Uh, it, and it was just it was there was a start, and the guy stalled, um, and that was it. With all the yeah. with all the tragedy, there's also you know great moments too. On page one ninety four, you've got Gilles Villeneuve. If I'm saying that correctly, um, there's a photo yeah. of him. He's just smiling. What why is what is this guy so happy about? It's like this genuine joy on his face. Well, um, I, I'd known Gilles since uh, he ran uh, Formula Atlantic, and he was uh, the most natural, the most um, pleasant human being I'd, I'd ever met on Earth, and he. Um, in that moment, in that moment, uh, he's he's put on the the Ferrari, uh, you know, Ferrari Hoyer red jacket for the first time, as a full fledged um, member of Ferrari's team. Um, that image was made under conditions that sort of were real funny. Uh, that morning, uh, all the all the police and track officials ran everybody out of the pits because Jill was going to come in, and since he's French Canadian, and uh, uh, this is this is a Mossport. Uh, well, we want to give him as much room as we can. Otherwise, it's just a mopsy. And once I knew that we were being run out, I also knew there was a, there was a crack, not a crack, but there was a split between uh, large pieces of, of prefabricated concrete uh, that made the back of the pit stall. So I actually sort of left the circuit in a way. I mean, I left the pits went back around, walked up into the back of the um, pit, and with the 180, <laughs> I just stood there and waited. And they brought him in, and I poked my head through a crack that was about, oh, five inches wide and shot about 25 of those images, of which this is the best one. Did you ever have a chance to show any, any of these guys these photos? It occurred to me that okay. he'd probably like to see this. Were they? Did they... Give you feedback? Were they like, "Oh, this is great"? Or oh yeah, I I showed him this one. And he just laughed. He goes, "You know, how'd you know?" I said, "Well, I knew. You know, I mean, I just remembered that, you know, that there was something back there, and if I could do it, I wanted to do that." I said, "But the lucky part is, is that is that you were, you know, you were close enough that when you turned around, it was easy." He says, "I'm glad I made it easy for you. You know, I'm really <laughs> glad. You know, it's really." He says, "That's good. That's good. You know, um, I, I I showed Nikki a lot of his shots, and uh, and." Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, at, at the time, they're racing. They're not uh, looking at art. They're not looking at it's. It's just. It's just. It's just what what's to be expected. You know? That came. That, that was, stuff was, came later. Yeah. yeah. So there's also a great shot of him on track with his front wing coming off, right? Ah. That, that's, that, that one's pretty yeah. good as well. Yeah, 19, 1981 at the uh, at the uh, Canadian Grand Prix. It rained like crazy uh, during the race. And um, with, uh, well, maybe, maybe 10 laps, maybe seven laps to go, uh, Gilles runs into the back of the Ilio de Angelis, I believe, I believe, and snaps the nose of the, uh, of, the, of, a, of a Ferrari up. So it's like a big cross right in front of his face. And he can't see, but of course, he's a snowmobiler and he's used to looking at the, out of the side of his, his car more than frontward. <laughs> So he's tossing the car around, knowing where the corners are, and he's 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 making he's making great pace. He's, he didn't slow down much at all, you know. And um, I was um, at the end of the at the end of the straight, you know, before the hairpin that comes down the old front straight, 
okay? And there was no runoff area at that time. It was just grass, and the railing was right there at the edge of the, uh, at the, edge of the pavement. And um, knowing him, I'm thinking, okay, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? How's he going to Okay, ah, yeah, yeah. He's going to come down. He's going to choose an area that has the longest breaking distance and, you know, the most bumpy area, which is that area coming into the hairpin before the, before the front straight at the time. He's going to slam it down under braking. He's going to break it off, and then he'll continue. And that's what he did. I just, I was really like crazy. So there's nobody there. I'm the only person stupid enough to be there. So, and I just pre-focused on an area where I thought the braking would be. And then I maybe pulled it closer to maybe 25 or 30 feet closer to me and waited. There he came and it went bam. And I got, uh, I got the image and, uh, to the rain and he slithers around and comes close, but misses the railing and me and continues on and two or three laps later he's uh, he's finished the race and i just knew i just knew i just you know you, you hang around these guys enough you know what they're going to do you know why <laughs> and you know where are you um, are you allowed and, to even continue the race when it's the a giant part of the car is broken off um yeah yeah <laughs> as, as long as as long as you stay on the track as long as you don't hit anybody um, I I, I, later, 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 I, I, I had seen the, the famous video of this accident and Jackie's, Jackie Stewart is uh, commentating. Oh, he's going to, they're going to like fight him. They're going to like fight him. Well, no, Jackie, he's French Canadian. This is Montreal. <laughs> it's not going to happen. There's no way. Ever. <laughs> never. You know, never. You know, maybe Jody, you know, maybe somebody else. Not, 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 not Joe. What are the biggest uh, names in the, when you think of, personalities in the golden age of formula one is james hunt and yeah. he, he just seems he just seems bigger than life and on page 93 yeah. and this is a photo that's actually for sale on petrolicious right now you can get a print of this photo which is actually how we got in touch i said i said if this is a poster i'm like a oh, poster but it's actual print from you that you buy which is really really great um yeah. And this is a photo of James Hunt, and I'm assuming one of a few different girlfriends, uh, <laughs> if if I could uh, guess. That's um, that's the uh, um, pet house pent of the year, and uh, of course it is. Either that or either that or Playboy. Anyway, anyway, it was uh, yeah, yeah. She she actually um, is still doing really well, and uh, and a smart person, very very intelligent, and. Um, yeah, it was quite a quite a weekend, quite a party afterwards. What? What? Uh, tell us and, about James Hunt a little bit. Like, what? It's it's always whenever you see photos of him, he's always got one a beer in one hand, a cigarette uh-huh. in the other, and uh, yep. a girl, girl over his shoulder. Girl, girl over his shoulder. <laughs> tell us about yeah, James Hunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's he keep uh, he keep Hunt. You know, I mean, <laughs> that was his. That was you know, a beer, a cigarette, and a girl. That was his. That was what he had around him all the time. He, um, I think he's he's a very underrated guy. Um, you know, he, he began with Hesketh and if you'll notice in the, in the, in the last, in the final part of the 70, 73 season, I mean, he is, he is, he is racing and finishing second to, to, to Ronnie Peterson at the Glen and he's, he's, he's quick, he's quick and he's, he's found something in that car that he can work with. And, um, the thing is, uh, the one thing that I, I, I find amazing is that is most of, most of the races that James won. We're in the wet, and um, he he was he was he was great. He just 
he just had a feeling and uh and he had a um a uh, a spirit that wasn't that wasn't going to let him him fail and um the thing I liked about him the most was that he was just he was just genuine there's lots of times when he would i would would talk to him and he was like talking like talking to my older brother uh and one of the things that I've been lucky enough is that I know his son and talking to Freddie is like talking to James. It's like hearing James, you know, back in the flesh talking to you. And it's, it's the most amazing feeling I've, I've ever had. Um, quite a, quite a thing there. And James, uh, James would, um, he was just nervous all the time. He was just nervous all the time. And I know that there were times when the, uh, the, uh, the, the crew would hold him back and hold him back and, and, and say there's something wrong with the car when they just knew that the more that they held him back, the quicker he would, he would put in the first or second lap uh, in qualifying. And it always turned out that that's what worked, you know? Um, that, that's the way you would focus him on, on really doing the absolute best, you know, right out of the box. Um, he, uh, he was, uh, he was sincere when he, when he was James, he was sincere and he was, he was real. And, um, I miss him. I miss him uh, a lot, a whole lot. On page 40, uh, you've got Nikki Lauda sitting on the armco looking pretty forlorn, honestly, yeah. right next to Ronnie yeah. Peterson. And you were lucky enough to see it. I mean, that's early on for Nikki Lauda, early seventies before, oh, yeah. he, before he became a legend. He was, was it apparent right. at the time that he was going to grow into the driver and Manny eventually would become? I mean, was there just like, was there, was it sprinkled in there that you could see it coming or was it not yeah, that? Yeah, 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 I, I did. Um, and that's one of the things that I'll, I'll tell you. Um, at the um, at the end of 74, right, no, right, right at the beginning of 74, um, I talked to Nikki about uh, doing a book on him. I said, how about I just hang around? I'll just, just shoot the stuff, you know, and we were talking, we were talking. And then uh, Ferrari sort of bloomed with him, and then uh, that that didn't that didn't work anymore. At least for Ferrari, it didn't. Um, Nikki at the time was just a, a a curious guy. You know, you'd watch him, and you'd watch him, and you'd listen to him. You know, and he'd he'd give orders, and he'd this and he'd this. And I I knew the march the march car. That, that's nineteen nineteen seventy two at the Glen, and I I knew the march car was terrible. And Ronnie was Ronnie was his teammate, and both of them uh, were having trouble with the car, and for Ronnie to have trouble was was sort of an otherworldly experience. He could take anything and go quick. And Nicky was somebody who, once once he once he got comfortable with the car, would just go quick, and he'd do that that time again and again and again and again. And so both of them are sitting there, uh, wondering who they might drive for in '73. Lauda <laughs> uh, uh, went on to uh, get a get a. a, a, a contract with um, with uh, Lois Stanley and, and BRM and uh, Ronnie went to Lotus and won some races and um, my, I, Nicky was just Nicky was just Nicky he was always that way it's just that he was looking and searching to try to find a car that he could he could make feel the way he wanted it to feel and uh, when he went to BRM he was quicker than Clay Rigazzoni and so when uh Ferrari recalled Clay to come and drive for them. He brought along Nicky. And, you know, the, the story goes is that Ferrari paid off Stanley a whole lot of money, and Nicky didn't have any money at the time. In fact, sitting on that, on that guardrail, he might have had, had 1000 bucks 
that's not it. But that was, uh, I think that was either the fourth or fifth image I shot, um, literally, uh, the first time I walked into the pit lane. The first time you ever walked into the pit lane, that, that was it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, on page 125, you've got uh, Nikki Lauda sharing a moment with James Hunt. And it seems like uh, in modern times, we, we always see Nikki as a super serious guy, right? He's always, you know, when he was yeah. at, in the Ferrari, or and I'm sorry, in the Mercedes uh, pits and stuff like that, he was always super serious, right? And uh, yeah. and often his relationship with Hunt is portrayed as being, uh, they're being at odds with each other. So I found this 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 photo interesting um, and seems to prove otherwise. Tell us a little bit about the the perceived rival, rivalry between Hunt and Lauda. Well, um, you know, the movie, the yeah. movie um, really bothered me because I knew and everybody knew how much uh, Nikki and James got along. They were buds. They were, they, they'd shared a flat in, in, in racing Formula three and um, they were, they were great friends. And Nikki was always, uh, you know, talking to James, James always talking to Nikki. They, you know, it was, it was, it was just um, clear, you know, they're, they're buds and they, they really enjoyed each other's company. They drink a lot of beer together, okay? A lot of beer together. <laughs> and uh, um, that moment is when uh, Nicky had won the 77 U.S. Grand Prix to give him his second of three world championships. And James had won the race. And um, Nicky, Nicky had, 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 you know, climbed out of the car. And it was sort of funny. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure who I was going to follow. I just, I just tried to figure out who was going to happen you know, there. And, and so James got to the, James got to the, uh, we're in circle first. And he goes, where's Nikki? Where's Nikki? We can't start this a lot. Nikki, where's Nikki? You know? And I, I, he took off running and I was right behind him. And at that moment, Nikki got to him and they said a couple of things. And there's a, there's a, it's a great image because that's, that's, that's James handing, Nikki back the championship that James figured he should have won. It's a great moment. And I think and, that, uh, um, that really defines what, when we talked about what you were looking to do, I think yeah. that image is a pretty good representation of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's probably the, the realest moment I have. A, I'm just looking at it right here in front of me. I, um, one of the realest moments I ever had. And of course, Nikki's not serious. He's laughing like crazy because James is telling him, you know, something dirty or, you know, something <laughs> body and, that's how it was. That's how it was. And, um, I just look for those moments. I just, I, I, there were other moments where, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the, always the serious guy. There's no, no, no. Sometimes they, they laughed and they were like little kids and they, that was probably the most, that was the, probably the, the, the moment they were the closest in, in their entire lives. That was, that was the moment. That was the essence of, of what they had. You know, they were, they were both happy for each other. I knew from Mount um, Okoji, that if Nikki was going to, uh, if Nikki won, if Nikki got the championship at uh, at Watkins Glen, he was not going to go on to uh, Montreal and Japan. He was that, that was it. He was just going to walk. He'd had so much, so much anger toward the Ferrari team that um, he was just going to walk. And and that's 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 why James was so happy with him. You know, James knew. Wow, you know, this is this is a chance for Nikki to be the happy someplace else. And he'd already talk, been talking to Bernie. Um, Koji told me that, uh, that, um, well, how can I going to say it? About uh, midway through second practice, well, after second practice, 
uh, Armando sought me out. And he goes, hey, you got some pictures for Nikki this year? I go, yeah, I always do. He goes, why don't you, uh, why don't you get them and, and let, go, up, uh, go up into the trailer and give them to, uh, to Nikki right now. I said, uh, now? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go up right now, right now, right now. <laughs> I said, I don't know. He, no, no, go, go up the stairs right here. Come on. And he opens, the, he cracks the door in the motorhome and he goes, he goes, Nikki, Richard's outside. He's got something for you. Ah, uh, yeah. So he flings open the door. Come on. So I go up there with the prince and I walk right into the middle of a fierce, angry, huge, bitter fight between Reutemann and Nikki and Foggieri and Tamani and everybody. It's, I mean, Reutemann's face is gray, dark gray. And Nikki goes, ah, Richard, uh, you got some things, huh? Hey, listen, um, how about if we talk later? Uh, we're having a little, little discussion here. <laughs> he winked at me. <laughs> I go, okay, 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 yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Walking out of the room backwards, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly, backwards, backwards. Wow. I come down the stairs, and I, I, I grab, you know, Armando. Why did you do that to me? Come on, man, you're my buddy. Why did you do that? And he goes, it's pretty fierce up there, huh? And I said, yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was otherworldly, you know? And he goes, well, he says, I just, I just thought that you, among other people, would, needed to know what it, was, what, what, it was, what it was like to be a Ferrari driver now. These days, mm, yeah, I got, I mean, I got the picture full, full, full tilt, you know. So once I knew, once you know, of course, that you know, okay, so so Nikki won the race and took the championship. Um, I didn't go back home. I I drove straight to Montreal. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, straight to Mostport because I knew that Villeneuve, instead of being the third driver, would be in Nikki's car. Right. And the funny thing is, is that Jill told me that uh, Nikki's car was one of the hardest cars he ever had to drive. It was way too soft. It was way too this. It was way too that. And he really had a hard time um, finding, finding balance in it the way he liked to, he liked to drive. Well, everybody, every driver di- is different. They want different things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the, that's the confluence of, of, of James and Nikki and Leunemann and Villeneuve and A, B, C, D, and F, and G. I mean, it was, it was right there. And, uh, Pretty, pretty, pretty amazing little moment. It gives a great backstory to the joy that's on Nikki's face in that photo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll never forget how Reutemann looked at me. Reutemann would have taken a knife out and cut me in two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was absolutely livid. And he was trying to control something. Like that. He was right in a mo- moment, maybe, where he's, he's screaming. And Nikki shuts him up by bringing me up there. He probably wow. looked down from, you know. Maybe you no, saved his ass a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but yeah, it was it was real stuff. It was real, real, uh, real tense, real thick. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's sort of the, the backstory there. You know, um, early on in the book, you've got a on page thirty-seven. Uh, you've got Francois Sever is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this great shot of the rearview mirror of his car, and um, yeah. I think it's. It's this glimpse, uh, glimpse of this moment of how confident he looks, and then you've got the two photographers next to him taking a photo of him in his car. It's this great moment between mm-hmm. um, two different professions, really, is is, yeah. is what it is. Uh, tell us a little bit about that shot. Um, well, that was in the middle of uh, that was in the middle of practice, and it was just it just got quiet, and um, everybody just sort of seemed to uh, neither be on the track nor be in their, nor be in their cars, and 
um, you can see how empty the, the plane is, you know, uh, compared to today. And uh, Francois there, and he's just sort of waiting for them to make a couple changes. Uh, and um, the guys are standing there, and I just thought, you know, the, you know, the the Tiro mirror stuck out so nicely uh, on the side with the round, you know, with the round shape and stuff. You could stick out into, you know, the air, and you could see something. So I just, I just knelt down by the uh, by the um, left rear tire, and made a shot of him there. You can see his face, and then that. But it's sort of just it's just how quiet things were, just how how non you know vital everything was. It was just quiet and and um, and um, simple and uh, and basic um, and uh, and epic at the same time. Right on uh, on page fifty nine. Um, there's a there's a shot of Francois. Uh, I think he's getting looks like he's getting counsel from Jackie Stewart. Is yeah. is what's going on there. He's it's it feels like he's looking at me after all these years. When I see that shot, well, I feel like he's telling me, Chris Cluel, I'm telling you something. It's one of the most yeah. personal, intimate portraits of somebody that I've that I've ever seen. And well, and uh, of of course, associated with the context makes it mean even more, but uh yeah. just even as a standalone image, it's it really is meaningful. Well, you told you you just you just you just said that to me and I got I got goosebumps because I'm there, and um, the morning, in the morning, he uh, he was lively. He was he was bigger than life. He was everything else, you know. And this is the last race of the of the season, and and I don't know if if Jackie told him that he was retiring, or if if uh, Ken had told him that uh, he would be running the team next year. Uh, there's a lot of different things that go back and forth. Uh, Jackie's many times said that Francois didn't know, and then other times. He's told Francois, who had, who had received a, a bid from Ferrari, no, you need to think about this. Maybe let's talk about this at the end of this weekend. You, know, you, need to, you have some time. Just, just, just give, 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 give it some time. And um, I know that um, um, they were going to have the, the 007 car, uh, which was a real much easier to, to drive car than the twitchy, you know, 06, 05. And... Um, uh, you know, I, I, I see, I see him that morning, he picked the pell and he, he spun around, he put her back down, you know, everybody's just great. It's just great, you know? And, uh, but as the day went, he got quieter and quieter. And, uh, at the moment it begins, it begins about, uh, eight or nine frames before that, when I just see him really get dark inside in the cockpit. I just see him really begin to wonder about something. And, um, he, I, I do a couple of snaps, a little snaps and some of these you see and some of these you haven't in the book. And, uh, I just knew that when, when Derek and, and Jackie were going to talk to him, the only place I could see him would be, it was heavily backlit, monstrously backlit. Okay. And, um, I, I, I move around and I move behind the, the, the pit counter, um, up against the wall and, it's just me and the pit counter, and then I shot it with a, with a 180, and I'm just waiting and waiting. And they part, and there's Francois, and he, he's listening, and he's, 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 he looks like he's, um, he just doesn't know what to do. You know, I, I want to do this, but Jackie's saying this, but, I, but this is what I feel, but, but I want to get the pole. But Did you ever ask Jackie what he was 
what he said? Um, Jackie's really sensitive about that, but I asked yeah. him a little bit. I, I asked him. I asked him. But it was years later, years later. And, um, you know, he, he, he looks up at them, and then he looks off over the nose of the car, and he turns, and he looks right at me. And he, he looked right at me, and he sort of winked for a second, and then he went back into thinking. And then the last frame is 26A. He, um, he looks just through me, just through me. And I got, I got goosebumps. I, I just, I felt something really weird. Very, very strange. I mean, it was, it was, it was like, uh, I was, I was hit by, um, I don't know, cold water, you know, it's just, it was just, um, a moment I'll never forget. I made, I made the image and I put the camera on. And I said, I can't, I can't do that. I can't look at his face anymore. I just can't do it. And, um, uh, whatever, whatever he decided, and I knew what it was later, whatever he decided, he, he, uh, he, he put his helmet on, looked up at Helen, uh, blew her a kiss, uh, flipped on his visor and, and went out on the circuit. And I was going to go over on the other side, uh, and watch him come to the S's because he'd been taking, he'd been taking the beginning of the S's, uh, flat in third, whereas, uh, Jackie was in fourth. And it was just so much pent up torque in that car. But, but uh, Francois knew if he could get through there flat, um, he could have a higher top speed down the straight. And he was looking uh, to, to be quick because um, some guys had, had some pretty ferocious uh, straight line speeds down to there, especially the uh, McLarens. And he, he knew if he, could, you know, if he could just get the, get the straight right, uh, he'd get pulled. Um, it, was, it was a time when he didn't, he didn't remember what Jackie would say, you know, set the car up so that you're fastest in the, in the last 30 laps rather than the first 30 laps. He was just trying to get the pole. And, uh, and um, I got about halfway back to the, to the back straight to the S's. All of a sudden I noticed that everything stopped and I get back there and car's upside down and uh, I can see it's, it's a Tyrrell and uh, I start to go across the track and, and um, uh, yeah, a photographer from Sports Illustrated uh, stopped me. A good friend of mine stopped me and, and said, don't go, don't go, he's gone. I no, 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 no way, no, no, he's gone. And um, I lost it. I lost it. I don't remember how much time I spent standing there. I, I just, I sat down by the fence and cried. And uh, it was, it was, it was, it was just otherworldly. And I think maybe I got back to uh, my tent <laughs> where I was staying, maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half later. I don't know. And um, and uh, because of that, I didn't go to the uh, the seventy four. I didn't do anything in seventy four. I didn't shoot any races at all in seventy four. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Um, and to this day, it hurts just as much as as that day, because I I knew what he was thinking. I knew what Jackie was suggesting to him. I knew how much he wanted to do what he, what he knew he could do. And, uh, it just didn't work out. Richard, I just want to thank you for capturing these moments, you know, without photographers like you, um, the legacies of these storied men wouldn't be anywhere near as tangible to us as they are today because you were there. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much. But I could, uh, offer a, a few little things. Yeah. Where can people find this book if they want to find it? 
And they want to well, purchase it's on Amazon. Copy. It's on Amazon, and it's also Petrolicious is, is also selling it in the store. Awesome. I I will uh, I'll, we'll direct people there. We'll put it up on the on the website and on the show notes and everything like that. I hope everybody goes out and and grabs a copy and. Um, you know, this is stuff that obviously you can see pictures online and stuff like that, but holding it in your hands and, and, uh, especially since it was film, it's really nice to have a tangible thing in your hands. And, uh, and it's a great book again. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking with us. Well, my pleasure. I'm glad I could uh, add a, add a bit to the uh, historical note of some things and, uh, and, um, thank you very much. I sure appreciate uh, your time. Yep. Take care. Take care. You too. All right, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Oberk Car Care. Oberk is a Midwest manufacturer of polishing compounds and supplies that is research, tested, and developed by professional detailers. Oberk products are designed to decimate swirls, holograms, and oxidation on your vehicle's paint. And right now, Oberk is offering 20% off any order online with the code Overcrest. The discount code is good not only on OberkCarCare.com, but also on CarSuppliesWarehouse.com and DetailedImage.com. I've used their two-step process. It is great, easy to use, and high-quality product. Check them out. Many, many, many thanks to Richard for coming on the podcast. I was sitting here with goosebumps listening to him tell some of the stories, especially the last one. And um, It's amazing being able to see these images that is captured and then also hear the story behind them. Right. I mean, this is something that every photographer aspires to do is tell a story with an image. You know, you can, you can, you can feel something. And I think what he, uh, what he said earlier about what basically makes a good photograph is that it has an emotion. It tells a story. Right. And, um, I almost get to the point where now for me, if, if there isn't, now we're talking about real photography here. We're not talking about iPhoneography where you're walking around taking We're walking around taking a picture. Yeah, you know, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. But when you're doing real photography, if you're not taking if there's no story and it's not emotional, it's not worth taking a photo of. Yeah, if it's not and evocative, why, why why bother? Why capture it? Yeah, so guys, head over to Amazon and look up his book. It's called Waiting by Richard Kelly. We're going to link it in the show notes. Check it out. It's well worth having. Great having around the uh, around the house, around the shop put it on the coffee table and uh, I'm sure people will love paging through it and seeing some of the, some of the great photos. Also, like I said, one of the photos is for sale on Petrolicious. If you want to get a print, it says poster, but I guess it's actually a print that he, that he's doing as well. So check that out. Um, We will see you guys uh, next at the end of the week on Friday for a little bit of news. Make sure you head over to patreon.com slash overcrest and support the show. We would really, really appreciate that. Subscribe, leave us a review, all that stuff. We really appreciate it. Thanks for spending time with us. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you on Friday. Take care.